Good morning, everybody, and welcome to an impromptu Sunday podcast here out at, uh, well, I've turned into, like, Woody Harrelson, the movie 2012. I'm coming to you from an undisclosed location. Of course, you know I'm at a nudist colony, but the only difference is my studio is a tent, not a Winnebago. Um, I'm surrounded by geese at the moment in my, my studio. Um, so I'm, I'm a week into my walkabout. I told you, uh, by the way, this is, this is episode 23. Um, I'm not really keeping track because, um, time is a construct, <clears throat> but, um, episode 23, welcome. Happy Sunday. This is one of those podcasts you can just kind of lay back and enjoy. Um, but like I was saying, I'm a week into my walkabout. I had mentioned this on my, I think two episodes ago, two or three episodes ago. I was speaking about getting older. And uh, so I text my buddy Mike, happy birthday. I said, welcome to the club. He said, fuck. <laughs> but um, so the only thing that I've really gathered with this walkabout is uh, uh, I'm considering a tribal tattoo, but it's going to be on the top of my head. It's going to be just stubble. I'm going to tattoo stubble to the top of my head so that it looks like a continuous uh, shaved head. So. Um, just dawn on me. Why don't you just do that? That way you won't be really bald anymore. But, um, so I'm out here. I'm kind of, again, it's just a calm Sunday morning. I was wandering, hiking around yesterday, and, uh, Man, it was just a sea of flesh out here. Um, it, uh, you know, just a, the the pool, the lake, the everything, just skin just sprawled over each other. Women just putting their eighty-year-old clams, just pointing them directly at the sun. They don't give a fuck. It's cool, you know. And um, this, you might think this is kind of evolving into a nudist podcast, but it's not a nudist podcast. Um, it could be. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I want to offer uh, Sacramento News and Review a thousand word piece about this odd little utopia, though. It's kind of fascinating. Um, there's certainly a European vibe out here. Um, you know what's really interesting, though, is the difference in, like, you go into town, you go into Sacramento, you drive down Roseville Road, and it's just a sea of tents, tarps. I mean, go to Venice Beach, it's tent city. Go to East Acton in London, it's tent city. Um, you know, say what you want, 
you know, about, you know, life in the U.S. right now or life anywhere. Um, there's people struggling. That's uh, that's very apparent. Um, and a lot of homelessness. And uh, it's... It's uh, hard to wrap your brain around. I'm not trying to bum you out either on this mor- on this beautiful Sunday morning. But, yeah, it's tense everywhere. But then you come out here and, 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 you know, there's a lot of the Winnebago's out here. But there's a lot of tents as well. And uh, it just kind of begs the question, what's the difference? You know? What's the difference between living in a tent out here and living in a tent in the city. Um, it's just one of those social distinctions, you know? If you're rich and you day drink, it's character, but if you're poor and you day drink, you're a alcoholic. So, but one of the, um, one of the locals in Sacramento is this guy, um, this writer who I guarantee, I guarantee will be, he'll be a, he, he, I don't think he's been nominated yet, but he will win the Nobel Prize in literature. Um, guy named William T. Volman. And he's not, excuse me, not from Sacramento, but he lives in Sacramento. His wife works for, um, I think she's like a, uh, some kind of special specialist in the medical field for Kaiser, but he is uh, he's this phenomenal writer, and he's an outside the box thinker. And I don't know if it's uh, quite deliberate, uh, or if it's just the way you know he just runs his life. He's just this guy, but he's a fascinating person and he's written just these huge these epic epic novels about the early um you know the inuits that crossed the ice shelf the bearing strait into alaska and uh you know people that settled the north continent early the can in in you know the canadians and um he's written about um you know, prostitutes in the Tenderloin. He, he, he lived with the prostitutes. Uh, he frequented the prostitutes in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Um, smoked crack with them. Uh, studied them. Hung out with them. Wrote a, you know, wrote about them. Uh, and he, he just, yeah, again, he's just one of those kind of fascinating characters he went to deep springs college which is just this funky funky school out on the edge of death valley it's a uh, scholarship only you know you can't just show up there or apply there like all these great thinkers have come from there it's kind of like reed or not reed uh is it reed college i think it's reed where steve jobs went up in um oregon you know just this weird free thinking like you know, you walk around with, you know, bare feet and you sit, you know, Indian style in your, uh, in your, you know, critical thinking class. 
uh, just shit like that. But um, I don't know. I just kind of got on this weird outside the box thinker type jag this week. You know, I just started tripping on people that just do this shit, this kind of unconventional stuff. He he. And he struck me as one because he's also kind of this huge advocate for the homeless. He um, he hangs out with them. I mean, it's it when you're in the middle of the summer in Sacramento, it's hotter than two mice fucking in a wool sock. And when you're sitting in their tarps and their tents, and there's the, that big plastic jug of water that's just hot. That's your water. You know, and people are like walking through this encampment where there's like partial vehicles that are stripped down, being used for parts or just shelter. And it's kind of this Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome kind of scene. But everyone's, I don't know, seemingly chill, I guess. Uh, but it's dirty and it's hot and it's dusty. And he's just kicking it with this guy's going to I I would I would stake this year's salary on him winning the Nobel Prize. I don't know when, probably in the next few years. But now here's this dude, he's just kicking it with him, you know? Uh, and I don't think he looks at it in the, in, in the context that he's lowering himself to, to just chill with him. I think he's trying to just be a human being. Um, I'd read a story about him in Sacramento. He, he bought this uh, piece of property, a little commercial piece of real estate where he goes and he just kind of chills out and uh i think it's downtown it's kind of near um loaves and fishes where they feed the homeless i think and he's he gets some you know crazies that come by and take a shit on his doorstep and uh try to break in and you know there is that element i mean it's not this complete like bleeding heart you know social worker mentality that he's uh, espousing here i mean there there is the the mental health issue as well and and compounded more so by just the the pandemic and just being locked in and just staring at the wall and just struggling with your own thoughts whatever they may be but um yeah he's a he's a trip um he frequently just hops trains for wherever reno very illegal very dangerous you know, people losing limbs and stuff like that, getting sucked under the train. But he does this, uh, he has, him and, and, and uh, you know, a friend, uh, a, a partner, he, like, um, you know, he just gathers up, you know, anybody, a willing accomplices that want to, you know, just go hop a train. What up, goose? There's a goose right behind me. He's chilling. And, uh, yeah, he just hops trains and, uh, but this guy, this cat, he, uh, in 1982, he wrote a book called, um, the Afghanistan picture show, uh, or how I save the world. And basically it, um, was about when he flew into Afghanistan, when the Russians in, in, invaded Afghanistan, he flew in with Islamic commandos to, uh, Afghanistan to document the war and to help um, the rebels and the freedom fighters and ultimately ended up getting dysentery and they had to drag his ass mm, with them uh, 
from place to place, so it didn't really quite work out. But but in in an effort to fund this, I believe uh, I believe this is the story. Is uh, he went to work for a computer company as a programmer, and uh, when he was writing the uh, maybe this was after because he was writing a book in the process. He um, he needed a pl- he needed some. I think he needed some kind of a venue that would um, give him the opportunity to write. Um, I don't know if he was just like he didn't have the resources or he didn't have. Uh, I I don't know what the circumstances. He got this job, and um, he would work on his com- on on his computer at night in the office. They'd lock you know they locked the the door, and then they, he would. Uh, he would write all night and sleep under his desk, and then he would just eat out of the vending machines. And that's uh, how he would write. Uh, I don't know if it was this book or if it was the the book after after which. But uh, ultimately, he ended up getting fired because he didn't know how anything about computer programming. So, you know, that's just the people that are... are these are the people that kind of accidentally just change the way we look at things. You know, this guy's uh, writing is... is uh, staggering i mean the 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 editors have to go through this work of his probably you know there's kind of a twofold like excitement as well as uh trepidation like oh my god i just got this 1600 page manuscript that i've got to now edit and uh it's full of like you know stenciled drawings and just Oh, dense, dense subject matter. Brilliant writing, but um, you know that's who this guy is. He, uh, I saw him one time too. I went, I was uh, I, driving into downtown. Uh, I was gonna pick up my mom from work, and I drove down. I think it was like 12th Street or something like that. I pull in, I come into down to 12th on my way to 12th and K. And I see this dude walking down the side of the road. He's got this... I'm admiring his backpack first because he's into, like, backpacks. Like, really durable, good backpacks. And uh, so I'm first... I'm, I'm looking at this guy shuffling down, the down like, 12th Street. And I'm like, that's a nice backpack. And I look... I kind of... Then I look back. I'm like, oh, my God. That's William T. Volman. It's one of the greatest writers of, of, of our time. Just hoofing along. And you, you can... You, you know... You can't mistake him because he—he's not the—he—he's he, well, he's—he's he's awful. He—he looks—he—he's t- not a good-looking guy. But he's older. He just—he all—he just looks like, um, you know, a blind kid cut his hair. He had—he uh, usually has these thicker glasses on. Uh, he's kind of—he's kind of—I don't know. Uh, lumpy. Uh, interesting guy. I'm sure he's just like, he's, he probably has this brain that just is like, I don't know. It's probably like a literary, say a, a literary equivalent of like Elon Musk. He's just like, you know, he probably looks at like other writers and just like, uh, I'm not even in your world, dude. But, but he's probably doesn't have that massive you know he doesn't seem to have this massive ego he doesn't um i don't think he uses cell phones 
or email. He's kind of, I wouldn't call him a, a Luddite, but he's almost a Luddite. It's just fascinating. I don't know, people like that just fascinate me. You know, they put, them through, put themselves through these situations that um, they're not necessarily, again, they're not necessarily innovators. They're just, it's just left of center type thinking. But it's designed with a purpose to just kind of uh, inadvertently shake things up in their brain. I, I think they accidentally do it to, to themselves. Quack, quack. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of people like that. That that you, you just you're in awe. You're in awe of. Um, you know, I was listening to some interview with Eric Andre. Uh, Howard Stern was interviewing him, and uh, Eric Andre was talking about the time that he was in New York, and he, I think he sublet his apartment and just decided he'd live homeless for the year or the summer or something like that. Like, literally, just, he was going to do stand-up, you know, go club to club at night, and then just see where the evening would take him each night. Sometimes he'd find a couch to crash on. Sometimes, you know, he'd sleep on a park bench, didn't bathe, just embrace this strange, um, I don't know, self, uh, it's like a self-exile, some weird just, but it's, it, 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 it forces you to use all your brain, I think, to kind of survive and, uh, develop and I don't, I guess, maybe, sure, um, that, Something propels these people, though, to do this. Uh, David Cho is another example. This phenomenal Korean artist who uh, lives in... Uh, I believe he lives in Koreatown down in L.A. And his backstory is that he was... He, and he's a brilliant artist. Brilliant. Brilliant painter. Uh, among other things. But he was hired back in the day before Facebook was really anything... He was hired to paint the uh, paint murals in the Facebook offices, but uh, in lieu of money, he was given stock, and uh, now he's just ridiculously rich. But uh, with that money, see, because um, he would now. He was, again, one of those guys that would just do the craziest shit just because even before he had the Facebook money, uh, he would hitchhike across the U.S. just to do it. I mean, just that in itself, just that uh, concept of hitchhiking across the U.S. is just like, bro, um, good luck. But he did it. He did it twice. Um a lot of train hopping. A lot of it was documented on Vice. Um, the uh, the uh, website and some of it, I, I want to say it was prior, yeah, to the Facebook money, but it was still, he, um, he had 
his wits about him because he was a degenerate gambler, his own words. And uh, he, in one episode, I remember, they, they left uh, L.A., they left Koreatown, and uh, him and his cousin and went up through Bakersfield, Fresno, and then into Reno, and just living wherever, you know, like some abandoned building in Bakersfield. They would catch some sleep, hop another train, hitchhike, grab another ride, 99, go up 99, pick up the 80 into Reno. And then in Reno, he um, stayed up all night and played cards and won, you know, thousands of dollars. Got a hotel room and then, you know, was able to regroup and then on to the next stage. But, uh, God, the, the, this type of stuff just blows my mind that the people can do shit like that. Um outside the box thinkers you know um Hunter S. Thompson another good example um created gonzo journalism which is basically like you're in it you're doing it um and even his style developed after you know after the success of hell's angels his first book but that was a great that's a great book if you ever want to read about you want to read some a good piece of embedded journalism that's it because that was kind of pre-gonzo he wasn't it wasn't the same style as like fear and loathing in las vegas um or fear and loathing on the campaign trail or any of his other work that he did for like Rolling Stone and stuff like that. It was real embedded journalism. This is a guy that just followed the Hell's Angels around and his car, you know, he lived out of his car, you know, he uh, mounted his typewriter in his passenger seat and banged out this book that was, just, it was r- really ins- just this insight into this group of rowdies that, uh, Ultimately, when it would end up uh, when they found out he was going to be making money off this, they end up stomping him. You know, that's real embedded. That's that's outside the box. Because prior to that, I mean, you know, what do you have? You got, you know, there's some greats out there like Norman Mailer and uh, Tom Wolfe. But even Tom Wolfe was, you know, he 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 embedded himself in the culture of late sixty and. You know, he was another fascinating case, but he this is a guy that wore like a three-piece suit while he hung out with Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters on their bus tour as they drove all over the country during their electric Kool-Aid acid tests. Uh, I mean, that takes a little... That takes some balls as well just to be dressed like that amongst this culture of just acid heads and hippies and uh the grateful dead and uh but to report on it and and that oh man you want to read a good book too that's a great one electric kool-aid acid test um ken kesey and the merry pranksters neil cassidy driving the bus high on acid um but uh yeah 
these people are just uh, they got some they got ten pound brass balls these guys um, just people that do things differently um, left of center thinking uh, Jesse Eitzler shout out to Jesse Eitzler you know uh, just a regular entrepreneur just a guy that just wants to make a you know make an impact but also make money nothing wrong with that um has a social conscience um he had a company that leased commercial or uh, rather lear jets private jets rather uh coconut he had a coconut water company um you know successful guy married um, a billionaire uh, the creator of Spanx, but had his life dialed, you know, but, you know, would get into these ruts where he just felt like he had to, you know, change it up, like the stagnation of success. And so what did he do? He went to go live with monks. Like he just called these guys up. Um, I believe it was... Uh, an order of monks, the Russian Orthodox monks up near uh, the northern portion of New York. And he went there to live with them for two, two weeks, 15 days. I think he made, he made a commitment to himself. He'd stay there for 15 days. And uh, the first hour he got there, he... I think he thought he was in over his head because it was... Very monastic. Um, you know. Just. Prayer and thinking. And modest dining. And obviously it's a, it's a monastery. Uh, but. He just. He wanted. He wanted. To, he wanted to. Just. Kind of re. Uh, reshuffle his brain. And. And then. Um. Of course, the other instance was, um, of course, when he got, when he got into like, <clears throat> when he got complacent, you know, and uh, this is a guy that just constantly looking for something outside the box. So he did these twenty-four hour, twenty-four hour runs, you know, these corporate sponsors, or he would raise money, uh, and uh, so these corporate funded. 24-hour runs, these 100-milers, ultra-marathons. Uh, he ran into this guy, David Goggins, who is just... Well, if you know David Goggins, then you know who he is. And if you don't, he's a Navy SEAL, or an ex-Navy SEAL, who's the toughest motherfucker on the planet. This is a guy that was at the same 100-miler... Well, it was a 24-hour run. Goggins was there to qualify to run a hunt uh he wanted to qualify for an ultra marathon so we had to do 100 miles in under 24 hours to qualify yet he had no prior training and he was 230 pounds at the time and he only had a couple of bottles of gatorade uh and some crackers some like ritz crackers and this guy just put himself through through it like he went 70 something miles uh, while his feet were splitting apart and he was probably dehydrated and had uh, 
rhabdo, which is some strange, uh, uh, some kind of strange uh, infection of some sort, I believe, uh, from overexertion. And anyway, he made it 73 miles and then shit himself, but was completely just could could barely stand and then still made and then still had the balls to go 70 uh, another 27 miles or so. I mean, that's fucking balls. But this guy Eitzler, Jesse Eitzler, saw this because Jesse Eitzler was doing it in, in, in a relay as a relay with three other, I think probably three other guys, you know, to complete a hundred mile, 24 hour, you know, 24 hour run. But Goggins was doing it by himself, like freaking savage, just stupid savage. And, uh, so down the road, he called him and he said, Hey man, I saw you at the, the 24 hour run. Would you, you know, he found out about he was an ex Navy SEAL, and all this stuff, and that he was a uh, kind of a a motivational. At this point, he was a motivational speaker of sto- of sorts. I mean, he also did. I mean, he also spent his time just get uh, working with uh, firefighters and paratroopers, getting dropped into like forest fires and fighting forest fires. Uh, on his off time. I mean, what the fuck? But, so this guy, Jesse Eitzler, calls me. He says, hey, man, uh, I'm in a bit of a rut. And, you know, I'm stagnating over here. Like, I'm successful. Um, but I'm just kind of like, I need a kick in the ass. So would you live with me for two weeks or something like that? I want to say it was a couple weeks or a month. And uh, he goes, Sure. If you're crazy enough to do that, I'm crazy enough to say yes. So, <laughs> so he shows up. So this dude, this ex-Navy SEAL shows up at some billionaire's house. And he's like, let's get to work, motherfucker. So, and again, this is like corporate culture. You know, he's, but he's shadowing him. He's shadowing Jesse everywhere he goes. They go to meetings. They go to, you know, um, wherever he goes and then and just impromptu he'll just say okay it'd be at work could be like uh now's a good time for burpees a set of burpees and here this guy eitzler's in a button-up tie you know with tie slacks the whole thing um he's like well i got a, I got a meeting he's like no you don't <laughs> has him drop and do like 50 burpees right there like just shit like that just brilliant you know i mean you can do that whether it's your own motivation whether it's your own thinking or if it's some other some other ingredient in the in the mixture that prompts you um, like this, like that like Goggins to Eitzler, you know, he, um, this other f- thing he did was this 40, I think it was a 48 hour challenge, so four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So, I mean, round the clock for 48 hours, but he did it. Um, 
you know, in the midst of just living his life and, and working, like, I mean, he, he, he basically, like, he grabbed the ant farm and he shook the shit out of it, you know? So that, you know, that, that glass visual of an ant farm in the tunnel and burrowing through and, you know, the, the dirt and the tunnels. And he just grabbed that, that, that motherfucker and just shook the shit out of it. Right. <clears throat> and, uh, I think that's brilliant. I think that's, that's really inspiring. Uh, just people that, yeah, that, that just feel a necessity to, you know, you're in a rut, you're, you're, you're stagnating. Your brain is just kind of turned into a bowl of tapioca pudding. You know, what can you do to just kind of reverse course, just to shake it, just to scare yourself, just to shake it up? Um, you know, those are the people for me. Um, so, anyway, here I am out here living like a homeless person in paradise but it's my own doing um but i just wanted to kind of illuminate the whole notion of you know what inspires people to live the way they do again we've all got our own motivation we've all got you know we all come from somewhere we're all inspired by something. Um, you know, what makes people like Alex Honnold, who uh, went to a rival high school, actually, here in Sacramento, out at Mira Loma. He's a 4.8 GPA. 4.8. I says, motherfucker, I mean, you could go wherever you want. He, had a, he, he went to Berkeley for a semester before he dropped out, but he's just like, okay, mom, I'm going to borrow your van, and then I'm going to live in it, and then I'm going to park in Yosemite and I'm going to live in the van and then I'm going to start climbing um, Half Dome and El Cap without ropes and become the greatest free solo climber ever just because, well, that's what I'm going to do, you know, um, to, con- I don't know, in- to continue the, you know, the tradition of these Camp 4 climbers, the Jim Bridwells, um, you know, the Royal Robins, these guys that just kind of lived on the valley floor and just evaded the the park rangers and, uh, you know, lived in the shadows just to climb. Uh, their sole intent was to climb, but to do it, they had to do it in unconventionally. You know, they didn't, they didn't work at a job for 60 years so they could save up for that nice place, you know, in, in Yosemite or, 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 you know, somewhere near the park so that, you know, they had a comfortable place and roof over their heads so that it, they could finally, finally take advantage of getting out there and just try and climb by the time they were retired. No, they just got in a, they just grabbed a vehicle, they fucking j- jumped in that thing and they went out there to s- not even know what to expect and just got out there and just lived it, you know, like Jimmy Chin, legend, another legend living out of his uh, Subaru, you know. This is a guy that, um, an Asian from Minnesota, where there's no mountains, wanted to be a rock climber, 
wanted to be a climber, and just decided to show up and live out of his Subaru, the valley floor of Yosemite. Now he's an uh, Academy Award-winning document, documentary filmmaker that, uh, that, you know, that, that to me is, uh, those are the people that just make you just scratch your head. You know, because this is the guy that filmed Free Solo. This is the guy that was up there. State like he, it, it would be like, it would be like Martin Scorsese. You know, setting the cameras and the, you know, the uh, blocking for climbing El Cap. Okay, so not only do you have to be a, a, an accomplished filmmaker, know your medium. Then you gotta stage it. Then you gotta, then you gotta um, block it out. Then you gotta be a great climber because you're cli- you, you know you're filming Alex Honnold climbing El Cap, and uh, so you not only have to be a brilliant artist filmmaker, but you also gotta be a great climber. And uh, he's just he's just a savage. These people just you know, there's nothing that really kind of gets in their way they just tackle it and then and then when they grab it they digest it and then something inside them you know pieces it out and parcels it out and then makes sense of it to them so that they can you know then interpret it and then execute it on their terms um it's going back to like a lot of what hunter s thompson would say is find you know if you've got a way of life, capitalize on how to be successful within that way of life. You know, if you're, if you're a kook, figure out how to monetize being a kook, I guess is what he was really, really, really aiming at. So, um, so that being said, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be up in Alaska here next month. I'm going to do a podcast from the, the ship. I'm going to take a, uh, uh, I'm going to take that ferry uh, from Bellingham to Ketchikan. I think I want to go to Juneau, but I think I, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. So I'm going to start at least plotting it out for Ketchikan. And uh, if anybody wants to go, uh, let me know. Put some comments in the review box, okay, from wherever you listen to this podcast. Oh, and give me some feedback on what you think of my, tri- you know, me doing a tribal tattoo on the top of my head so that it looks like uh, it's it's stubble. Uh, give me some feedback on that. Or or if anybody, or for, if there's any tattoo artists out there, uh, comment in uh, in the box you have available to the podcast stream that you listen to, and let me know. Um, if I don't get back to you, it's because I don't I don't check in on 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 all the all the streaming venues. Uh, if you go through Apple Podcast, comment in the review box. Let me know what you think of travel tattoos on the top of my head. And uh, also, if you want to go to Alaska, or if you have any tips on going to Alaska. I ran into a guy when I was uh, selling cars for VW in Folsom, 
I ran into a guy who biked the Great Alaskan Highway, which is fucking just staggering. Uh, I think he said it was. It had to have been a had to have been a mountain bike, but that's eleven. That's about eleven hundred miles of just gravel road and uh, bears and moose. So that guy, fuck, I just couldn't believe it, what he was telling me. But, but, um, <clears throat> but I'm going to take the ferry. I'm ferrying up through uh, through all the. Uh, I'm kind of u- usurping the path through Canada. I'm not going to go through Canada. I'm going to go through the that channel of islands, uh, and then kind of skip all the customs and all that and I'm gonna probably just uh, throw a tent up on the deck of the ship so I'll do a couple of podcasts from there it's a it's a couple day it's a it's a two-day journey by boat and then um, I'm just gonna check out Alaska so anyway that's the podcast for today happy Sunday enjoy your day today uh, think of some crazy shit that you could do and uh, or if you've done something crazy recently put it in the re- put it in the review box in the Apple podcast or if they got one on Spotify um, any comments let me know what you think give me some feedback let me know the craziest shit you've done I mean epically crazy you know did you did you join some kind of strange uh, band? Did you play did you play the triangle in some impromptu gypsy band that decided to tour across the lower forty eight for the summer? Did you join the circus? Uh, hopefully you didn't, because circuses are depressing. But <clears throat> just strange, off the cuff, weird shit like that. Let me know. Give me some feedback. And enjoy your Sunday, all right? Anyway, take care. And I'll talk to you next time.